0: FM. The new world of work is unpredictable. How do you put together your eclectic background with your values and do work you really enjoy? Pamela Slim helps people find success and happiness in this new world of work. She too has had a diverse work history as a martial arts teacher and director. She was a former corporate manager and for a long time now she's been an entrepreneur and the acclaimed author of Escape from Cubicle Nation. Her blog by the same name is one of the top career and marketing blogs in the world. She's an expert in career guidance and brand reinvention. And her newest book is Body of Work, Finding the Thread that Ties Your Story Together. Please welcome my friend Pam here today as we're going to talk about her story and how she has created her own incredible body of work. Pam, hello and welcome back.
1: Thank you so much for having me back.
0: Absolutely.
1: So I loved
0: your book, Body of Work, because there was such great stories in there and questions and you really tied it together. And especially nowadays with, you know, my own story of how do I go from being, you know, a swim coach or a college professor and then actually applying that to other things. I think it really can help that my listeners out there when they kind of look at these pat- these patchy things that they have and what- how they can create the next step for them, their next act. Um So I wanted to first talk about your own body of work, because you have just this incredible journey and this uh, career that you've put together. So can you start with, um, you know, I talked about you're a martial arts director and stuff, but how you put your work together to be where you are today?
1: Well, it's very interesting because I find sometimes through the process of writing a book. I learned things about the world and myself that I didn't know before, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is which is one of the fun reasons to do it. Uh, and so it, the same, I think, is true in terms of looking at my career and the different decisions that I've made. I didn't step back, for example, when I was in my 20s, looking forward to my career and ever imagine that I would be doing the things that I'm currently doing or that I would have done what I did in my career. I was in my early days uh international service and development major in college and with a great passion for social change and economic change, uh, grassroots efforts, and a real passion for Latin America as well. So my thought when I was in college is that I would end up having a career as an expatriate aid worker, you know, somewhere in Latin America. And I, I spent time there in college. As I went through that experience, which is really one of the, the common things I think that starts to become a theme in different career choices is I paid attention when I was there to how it actually felt to do the work. And while I had huge passion for the work that was happening around me, like in my senior year of college, I spent in Bogota, Colombia, working uh, on a project with, at a daycare center on the outskirts of Bogota. And it was just amazing. I love kids. I love to be around it to see all the great things that the, the women um, were, were doing. They were women from the community who were involved in a teacher training program. And as I was in that experience, the one thing I was reflecting on is that it really, while it was amazing for me, and I was learning so much, I didn't really feel like I was contributing much there because the wisdom existed within that community for what they needed to do. So I just began to pay attention to what did I enjoy about that and what did I not and that you know career choice ended uh, brought me back to the US where then I ended up starting on a path first in nonprofits then getting into you know corporate life then doing consulting then 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 doing you know coaching and entrepreneurship work and really the main thread for me in my work is I can see that there are different themes of things that I enjoy I love transformation I love freedom. Uh, I love really helping people recognize the kind of strength and skill that they have within. And those are examples of themes that I've worked with in just about every kind of work mode that I worked in. When I work with people in martial arts, teaching capoeira, working with young people, that's really what I saw is that transformation. When I was working in organizations as a consultant, I would see a very tense, awkward, sometimes difficult work environment turn into a really smooth running organization by doing some work you know, with people to learn how to manage better. And certainly in the work that I did with Escape from Cubicle Nation of helping people quit jobs to start a business, there was all kinds of that, that personal transformation that happened with that work. So I, I think for me that some of the threads that have always gone through my career choices are first in making sure that at every step of the way I'm paying attention to what do I really enjoy and what am I good at? If I'm not good at something and I don't enjoy it, maybe it's the hedonist in me, but I can't can't force myself to do it. So I tend to focus on something for usually about seven to 10 years and then make some kind of significant shift and go on to the next thing.
0: Pam, how do you, when you think about what do I enjoy and what am I good at, how do you not get into that lack mentality of, but this is working and so I need to stay here and do this?
1: You know, I realize that that may be something that that's a a value or a a a common belief for many people. I have we we could spend the entire hour talking about all kinds of other things that I have (laughs) that are -hmm. limiting beliefs and issues I've been fighting with my my life in my life, but that has never been one of them. Mm -hmm. I I have always always just had a natural clarity. That if I was in a situation where I was not enjoying what I was doing, if I wasn't adding value, I knew I had to change. And I also have a huge tolerance for risk. I think that risk tolerance is a very important thing to keep in mind. And you and I have had conversations about that, right? As we Mm -hmm. looked at the world of work and our our own journeys, that when you do take the risk of leaving what can feel to be a stable (laughs) work situation... It can throw you into all kinds of, you know, emotional, uh, situations, but because I do have such a huge high tolerance for risk and some of it can even be folly, right? Some Mm -hmm. of it like, you know, traveling alone by myself in Latin America and not, you know, some of it, sometimes I've been very lucky I feel, but for example, when I quit my job 17 years ago, I had no concern whatsoever that I wouldn't land on my feet and I wouldn't do something because I've always worked since the uh, the age of 12. I love working. I work hard. I enjoy what I do and I knew that that something would happen. So, that's a matter of really understanding myself. When I work with many different clients that have a different, you know, base of values, they might have a different tolerance for risk, the path by which they they make their choices and maybe the time frame in which they might be working on something on the side before taking a leap could be very different from my own. Mhm. And I have a question about freedom, because you said you love transformation
0: and you love freedom. What do you mean by freedom?
1: Freedom to me is really something that exists between your ears and and there there are concrete and clear things about freedom of making sure that people have equal rights and you know certain kinds of issues of social justice and things like that that i 'm always going to be passionate about making sure that we 're all on the earth, able to have, you know, equal access to resources and those kinds of things. But the kind of freedom that I found has really excited me in the work that I've done in in many different ways is feeling like you have control over your destiny, feeling like you're not a victim of circumstances, that there's always the possibility to make a different choice and to create the kind of life that's really going to be fulfilling for you. And and I've seen that in all kinds of different circumstances and people with extremely difficult, you know, difficult economic situations um, you know, really extreme situations sometimes of hardship, but with that kind, well with the right kind of support and structure, but also with the kind of belief that, you know, I do not have to be stuck in this situation. I can do something about it so that I feel in control of my life that's the particular kind of freedom that I mean. It's not just the drinking margaritas on the beach. Financial freedom. <laughs> I, I find that that meme is so overplayed to be I, personally not really that meaningful. I mean, I, I my joy is actually in the process of creation of creating things. It's not <laughs> the purpose of my life is not to uh, get myself in a situation where I don't have to work. It's actually to get myself in the situation where I'm working on creating things that bring me great joy and bring meaning to the world.
0: You know, as you talk about this, I just have tingles running up and down because you're right. There's so much of, oh, you want to, you want to be able to leave life and go sit on the beach and just drink margaritas and be there. But and what I, I find a lot of people that happens is that they lose meaning and purpose, right? Viktor Frankl's man's search for meaning. And it sounds to me that with this, this quest for freedom and, and one of the things that drives you is that doing your work is really kind of your i for lack of better words you know our term of promised land that's where you like to be doing that work
1: it is i think creation is an extremely powerful force and it's something that became a huge theme in in the new book and believe it or not it was L Cool J who first got me really excited about this it was one of those random Uh, TV surfing moments where I was late at night and everybody was asleep and I was watching CNN and and Piers Morgan was on. And he had Ella Cool J. I think it was right before the elections when everybody was being very cranky to each other online and things that just make me feel sad and unsettled. And uh, Piers was asking Ella Cool J., "What, what do you think we need in order to make America great again? And, and he responded and said, first of all, you know, I think we do still have a great country. He said, but what we need to do is create that for the, the rich kids in the Hamptons that have far too much money, you know, what they need to do is to create. And for poor kids in a you know, really difficult neighborhood, they need something to create. That's actually what our country is founded on. And I would expand it much beyond our country. I think it's just human nature in general, that when you begin to create something That's where everything changes and transforms. And I think particularly about the kids that I work with for so many years in Capoeira, you may relate to this also with swimming, um, is that when they begin to have that focus of learning and art and a Capoeira has music that's related to it and acrobatics and martial art movements and songs, people have to learn songs in Portuguese. And it's such a huge creative endeavor that through that process of engaging and creating something is where they got so excited and came alive and and felt all of their you know, skills and strengths and, and that to me is really the driver for everything because you can look at some people who are the richest in the world, Bill Gates, who could have absolutely just sat back and counted his money and enjoyed it, but you look at the kind of path that that he and his wife are taking with all the different endeavors that they're involved in, you know, philanthropically and otherwise. And, and that to me speaks to this just human desire to be creating. And, and it, I, I just think it's, it can solve so many problems. A lot of folks on the career path feel this low level of angst. There's just this dis-ease and something is not working right. And it's often when you're in the kind of work situation where you're not creating things that have meaning to you, you're not engaged in activities That really bring you, you know, inherent joy. And in the process of creation, there's a huge amount of work. So it's not about not working, but it's in creating something that actually has meaning. I just love that. That is, you know, and I think about, um, you know, parents with
0: with their kids and with teenagers, right? And what a great way to get teenagers engaged is to create. And and create can mean lots of different things. We're not saying that they have to come up with a new app, or it can be lots of different things. It can be You know, and I even think about like in swimming, how to get them to create. My mind is going, you know, right now as I'm thinking about how can I get some of these kids more engaged in the process of swimming and what can they create for themselves. I think sports are a really um, empowering thing for kids. But uh, what an important concept for people, because I do agree with LL Cool J, that we can create, if we can get everybody to create, that can really make our world a better place, can't it?
1: It, it is. And, and it, it, it goes to the the heart of, you know, the purpose of our life is, is to create meaning, right? Mm-hmm. to create a body of work that, that we're very proud of, that helps to drive the kind of change that we want to see. So a lot of times when you look at the kind of dialogue that we have, we, we can totally disagree. I, moving to Arizona from California was a really good thing for me because I was generally raised in a place where You know, most people have the same kind of beliefs, same kind of political beliefs and so forth. And so moving to a state where there really were people that came from a different political perspective, especially, has been really educational for me. And I've seen that we can come at problems from very different perspectives, but we are still able to build relevant things together when we find common ground. So it's one thing if we just and I I think this is something I, I particularly am sensitive to in our in our country and it becomes kind of a, a mantra for me in terms of how I like to be involved or not involved, you know, in discussions, is we can say, yep, yeah, okay, you and I, we really disagree. We we believe that, you know, change needs to happen. We may come at it a couple different ways, but how can we actually build something together? Is there something that we can build and create that will end up creating the change that both of us are really interested in? And so when we begin to engage with Whatever it is, right? You know, building a community center um, or, uh, you know, helping people get access to healthcare or uh, whatever the kind of big situations that we see um, are problems, when we can just shift from focusing on, you know, here's my belief and my ideology to how can I actually put it in practice in order to create a change. I think that's often where we become more creative and innovative and many times, not always, but many times we find that we have more in common than we think we do. So how do you put it in practice? I I put it in practice, uh, in, in particular, in the, in my work, I feel like my, my canvas, if you will, for, for my art is the world of work. Mm -hmm. And so, it's funny, when I did a live event, I had my daughter, who is six years old, introduce me. And it's always interesting to see what your kids say about what you do. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> she knows I write. She knows I type a lot. And, and so she knows that I'm a writer and she's, she's seen my book. But the way she interprets what I do is my mom helps people get jobs. Mm -hmm. And when I think about that, that actually is the thing that is the most exciting to me, the place where I start to get really, really excited is in the creation of economic opportunities for a whole variety of different ways that people can work. So it's for as a freelancer or a small business owner, or as somebody that gets really excited about getting a job in a company that they want to Uh, I get like teary eyed when I see press releases about companies that are moving into my area. You know, Apple just uh, announced that they were coming into my area here in Arizona and, you know, building a factory and stuff. And it's just I can't explain it. It gets me so excited because I know what it means in terms of our community. It means more opportunity, more connection, more chance for people to be engaged with each other. The the same thing is true if I see maybe a, a mall that's been a little bit dead. We had so much economic hardship here during the, the crash that when I start to see a, a bit of revitalization and new stores coming in and traffic and action happening, that's really what gets me excited. And so what I try to do is just to, to constantly and consistently share information and resources and, and add to the conversation. Uh, certainly this next stage of my body of work, pun intended, is, is really to maybe open up dialogue about a framework that I think is going to help more people get more opportunities. You know, a lot of the way that we see you know the media talk about our new economy is is really in dire terms, right? Mm-hmm. Every May or June when When our our youngsters graduate from college, there's always this whole slew of articles about how it's so terrible and they're all going to be living on their parents' couch (laughs) and just these dire things. And I'm sitting back saying, are we even in the same universe? (laughs) Yes, there are the traditional employment as it has been historically the last couple decades is not the same as it used to be. That said... There are so many alternative ways that we can all think about working. And I think especially for our younger generation, they're uniquely equipped to work that way because they're being raised with technology in their hands from such an, an early age. So that's, that's to me the way that I, I like to see it happening is just in every moment and every walk of my life, how can I look around and help people feel better about what they're doing and get access to more economic opportunities?
0: Oh, I love that. And what and that does that come from because earlier you talked about even as a young woman, you had this passion for social change and economic change and a grassroots effort. And so those sound like those are your roots.
1: They they really are. There's uh it I think one one of the things I and it, it's interesting to to think of where we actually get our roots. Our roots is one of the terms that I use in my book about just a deep strong emotional connection that you have to the work that you do. They can be really strongly held beliefs or things that you get very passionate about. And I was raised in Marin County, California, which is a pretty wealthy uh, suburb of, you know, San Francisco across the Golden Gate Bridge. We, my mom is a single mom. My parents divorced when I was young. And so we, we didn't have a lot of money in comparison to my peers, but certainly in comparison to most of the rest of the world, you know, we were totally fine and had access to a lot of resources. So I wasn't surrounded by poverty, I really wasn't exposed to it. But there is just something that moves me so deeply to see what happens when people really are restricted, you know, in terms of access to resources, or when they've been in an abusive situation, or when they overcome the odds, it just it just gets me going, it gets me excited. And I I feel so deeply in my heart that it's it's all of our right. And and frankly, I feel it's all of our duty to be working together to make that happen for each other. When, one of the main things that I say often to, to dear friends of mine, as we're working together is that we all need each other. And I found that in any kind of thing that we're doing, if we're trying to make progress in work, um, in our families, whatever, whatever it is, we really need each other. And so it's not doesn't have to be an issue of dependency which is one thing I know we bat around a lot as we start to talk about it as a society at large but if fundamentally we see you know what like the kids in my community are are part of my community and their well-being is directly related to my well-being if if I see a kid that's unhappy or not fed or in a rough situation then you know if I do something to help out and to give support to the kid or, or to the family in, in many different ways. I don't just mean monetarily, but, you know, many ways of just helping that situation to get better. Who knows down the road how either somebody that they know or maybe them themselves could help me out and my family and my kids when they need it. And I realize that not everybody feels that way. For me personally, it just means that it makes me feel better as I walk through life. You know, like we, we consider that all, all kids out there are all kids then it, 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 I think just ends up creating a different quality of interaction where we can smile at each other, we can have that kind of connection with each other. And and personally, because that's a really strong value for me, it's something that really, that really inspires me. So yeah, it doesn't really matter what kind of situation somebody is in we, we there's the the meme on the internet of first world problems which which is true you know sometimes we can be complaining about things that in the relative scope of the rest of the world are not that big of a deal but when you look at each of our experience on the earth regardless of, of where we come from we do all have experiences with really you know understanding ourselves and feeling like we do have meaning and I've talked to enough people who are in, uh, you know, working in, in a kind of situation where they just they don't feel good at all. They feel really dead. They're in a, a work environment that doesn't match their values at all. They're not creative. They're not contributing. And that's it's a shame. I mean, a lot of people spend their whole lives that way. And that's kind of a waste of time on
0: earth. Mm hmm. Most definitely. So with these roots of yours that you have with the social change, economic change and the grassroots effort, is that what keeps you grounded as, I mean, you know, you're a pretty big deal and you're not going to say it, but I will. I mean, you're a pretty big deal. You are connected with some really, you know, influential and powerful people. But one of the things, and I've said this before to you on interviews, is one of the things is that no matter how high you climb, you you still stay connected to I like little people down below, right? And and I know you don't even consider us little people, but you are always connected. And I've seen other people who, when they kind of get taken up into that stratosphere, um, kind of forget where they've come from. But that's not your. That's not what you do, is it?
1: Well, I, I think we're all little people. <laughs> it's just it, seriously, it's it's uh it it's it's an illusion, mm-hmm. and it's a story we tell each other, you know, of, of climbing to different levels. Because by definition, we're, we're all equal. That's, it's how it is that we're born. It just, there are different stories we, we tell ourselves, right, about you know, who is more equal than others or who's more fancy, which is the term I like to use that my son Josh talks about sometimes. <laughs> and uh, it, one, one thing that I've really enjoyed in, in connecting with people, first of all, it, each of us is, is going to really define who are the kinds of people that we do admire, and for some people, it could be people who have much more economic success or actual, you know, influence or power. And, uh, you know, creating that definition of really figuring out, you know, who are the kinds of people you admire is really important. Whatever your own personal values are, are the kind of values that you're going to look at in somebody that that does fit that um, kind of mentor or example for you. And and for me personally, a lot of the people who I admire greatly are those who really have created amazing bodies of work themselves. They're contributing really, really valuable ideas to the world. But at the same time, they're also holding a strong value in uh, respect and in humility and in family. I, I can think of some people in particular, Nancy Duarte, who I admire so much, Who has a firm uh, in Silicon Valley that that helps make uh, presentations. And she's written a couple great books, Slideology and Resonate, about the power of story. Nancy, it, Nancy's a big deal, right? She works mm-hmm. with all kinds of the biggest business leaders out there in terms of crafting stories. But you hear her talk about her family. You hear her talk about her husband after, I don't know, 30-something years of them being married. And she gets all teary-eyed. And, and she has such passion for what she does and such enthusiasm for her employees, and she's so gracious. And uh, the same is true for Dan Pink, who's somebody else I know. You and I both really enjoy and admire. Uh, I was actually in the beginning of, of working on this book. Uh, I was just thinking of, of ideas, and I was visiting Washington D.C. and I got the chance to go to his house and sit down at his famed kitchen table, where he uh, he writes about that a lot on his blog, where he gets a lot of his ideas. And his wife, Jessica, was at the stove and she was making soup and we were talking about different ideas for the book. And I just really paid attention to the kind of interaction that he had with his wife. And he kept saying, you know, Jessica is just my best, uh, you know, sounding board for ideas. And I always run everything by her whenever I'm, you know, doing my books. And they were, were just having this really interesting discussion. And that, to me, is the kind of person that I really want to emulate is in creating really relevant, interesting work but at the same time being very respectful of the fact that we are all equal. You know, some of us are just a little bit more experienced equals for people like Nancy and Dan who are, you know, operating in certain kinds of environments. So it's, there's no right way. What I think that we all want to be going for is resonance. So whatever truly are your values, those are the things that you want to make sure that you have resonance with. And for me, I'm always going to be a a person of the people. <laughs> that, I just I just believe that because I believe so fundamentally that nobody is better than the other that it would be it would just feel really bizarre and awkward to all of a sudden forget about all the people who have been tremendously supportive to me when I started this journey when nobody knew who the heck I was.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I I think that's just such a great strength, and I think uh, that's also why. I just adore you so much because I do believe everybody matters. My my personal belief is everybody matters and everybody has a story, right? And their story matters. And um and we are all connected and there is a social responsibility. So I just so appreciate that about you and I that's why I want to bring that up though because I think it's for me it's an important skill or important value. Um one of the things when you're talking about you know, Dan and his wife, and and then you're also talking about you know TV, is that it seems to me that you learn and are watching. You're constantly learning from the classroom of life.
1: Yeah, I I am a I'm a a <laughs> sometimes I'm more a child of pop culture mm-hmm. than, <laughs> than book learning. I certainly enjoy books. I I will admit I'm partial to business books or books about writing. I I actually want to start to read more novels because earlier on fiction was a huge love when, when I was a kid, but I am really excited always to be learning new things and gathering ideas and seeing interesting examples of how ideas are put into action. So that's part of what is, is of interest to me is just in, you know, figuring out what people are doing making connections between different ideas. There was just a really interesting article on Forbes by, I think the, the gentleman's name was Michael Simmons. And he talked about this kind of complex analysis of networks and how we used to think about a person was the most valuable that just had the hugest network, right? That you mm-hmm. knew the most people within a particular network. And what he's saying is networks are, sometimes they tend to be inclusive within a certain area. So there are certain kinds of networks where people, you know, operate there. Everybody knows each other. I I use the metaphor a lot of being a little island, you know, where we're all walking around holding our little signs. And that's where we think, oh my gosh, you know, everybody's a coach or, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody knows who Seth Godin is when really we're just in this little island. And a lot of what he is talking about is that in in the new world of of networks, what's really going to be a valuable skill is people who are brokers between networks. It's much more difficult to take an idea from one uh, network of people who already share common beliefs and interests into another network where maybe there are different beliefs and interests. And so there's some translation that happens between that and brokering. And I'm just fascinated by something like that. And I think a lot of it might be because of my early background in cross-cultural education and having lived in, in a number of different countries as a student that to me is really exciting. And that's where, where I'm interested in like the weird, uh, you know, mashup between all kinds of different ideas. It's why I'll use examples of things like, you know, pop stars and, you know, quoting LL Cool J, whereas other people who may write for the Harvard Business Review would be quoting academic journals. You know, I mean, like, I, I like that. I'm fascinated by research, but I'm more interested in how we can begin brokering between all these different networks that can learn from each other. I think that's really where innovation comes from. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, I think that's a great nugget for the listeners is that there are just so many opportunities and so many different ways to learn, you know, and not to discount anything because I too will watch something on TV and be like, and it will say something, you know, and maybe it's part of just where my mind is, but it'll say something and be like, oh my gosh, you know, and I can create an awareness or learning. And then I too read a lot of nonfiction books and and I'm constantly learning and, and doing stuff. But I, I view life as a classroom and that there's so many things and how can I emulate what nuggets can I take from an interview what you know watching people and how they handle things how do they raise their kids how do how do you balance you know your well I don't believe in balance but how do you make your work work with along with your family and so there's I, I just believe that there's so many different ways to learn it's which is so different because I grew up with with such a huge value about you know, it had to be in a book, it had to be education in a classroom. So
1: yeah, it's really expanded. And I think what's so interesting about it in the bigger context of now the stories that we're telling and information we're sharing is that we are sharing all that information, Mm -hmm. right? So most of what we find is interesting. Now we're sharing with each other on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn or on our blogs. And we're actually creating this trail of content. And, And it, 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 It begins to really create this this absolute picture that's always living and growing about what our interests are. We can, of course, see the insidious side of it, right? It's like people know now more about us because everything that we write and share is trackable. I think I choose, in some ways, just to kind of take the optimistic, you know, track of that, right? Yes, there are some downsides to it in terms of how much that people know about us, but on the upside look at how much more we can understand about each other. Look at all the different ways that now we can get access to amazing, interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. It's hard to believe now because it feels like we've always had the internet and we've always had (laughs) social media and these ways to get information. How were we sharing these ideas before? I mean, way back, we were sharing them around the campfire, right? And we, we were reading books. I remember as a child, when I used to go to the library, that it the same. I, I got the same kind of feeling when I might pull books off the shelf and be drawn into a story that was very compelling, that was different from something that I knew before. So I think part of that is a basic human need. But I think it's very interesting now that we can be publicly and openly sharing this information. And that actually does become part of our body of work. We can all be librarians, if you will, that are going through the the world of information and ideas and and cultivating them and sharing them with people so that they can be of value. And going with
0: that, how do you, because you incorporate in your body of work, you incorporate your family and you do it in such a manner, you know, like even with having your daughter go in and introduce you at your live event or you talk about her in your book, right? And you talk about your family. I mean, how do you... what boundaries do you put out there about the work and the family and how it works together?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple levels to it. And one of them is a a philosophy about parenting, which is one that I really learned from my dad, especially my mom too, but especially my dad, which is that when your kids see you actively enjoying your work and they know what you do and they're involved in it, that spurs interest and enthusiasm in them for pursuing a career that's very meaningful. Mm-hmm. So the reason I, I think of my dad a lot uh, about that is because he's a been a lifelong photographer. He's been a community activist. I, I write about him in the book. He's always been somebody who's been just interested and engaged in what's going on in the community. And from the time I can remember... I was always in the dark room with him in the early days with the the chemical baths where you'd watch the you know the paper transform as, as you developed the film and then made the photos, and then in later times just looking at digital photos with him. That experience for many decades of talking about photos and creativity and communication with my dad has totally shaped who I am as a person and how it is that I think about work. I think that's one of the reasons why. It was easy for me to make decisions about leaving work that wasn't fulfilling because I saw my dad that really was fulfilled at work. So, so that's one piece that I really always want to be repeating with my kids. And I know my husband feels the same way is where we can bring them along so they can see what we, what we do. I love the fact that they have what feels to me like an, a huge extended circle of older brothers and sisters and aunties and uncles and grandparents, right? That people really get to know them when they, you know, do show up at events and, and sometimes just even in sharing uh you know things that they say and stuff on social media. So that's a way that they can feel supported and they can have some great examples of people out there who are enjoying what they're doing. Now, of course, especially as they get older, but really at any age, I never want to do anything that's going to be really exposing to them because you know it is sharing their their ideas. Some people have very different views about, you know, sharing photographs of your kids or uh, all of that, which I totally respect. Um, For me, I'm I'm comfortable, you know, I'm comfortable doing it. I do check with them, even at a young age, to see if it's okay. I would never want to put something out that was extremely vulnerable, right, like a very vulnerable moment or um, generally when I share, I I like to share little comments that they have because often it's really hilarious. (laughs) But uh, they're they're aware and they'll be like, oh, mom, are you going to put that on Facebook? And I'm like, yeah, I think I have to, you know, so I'll put it on there. Uh, Josh is a really good reader now. Whenever they get their own accounts, they'll probably be monitoring me even more. <laughs> but, you know, the, the way I like to think about it is I don't want to share anything that's going to be embarrassing for them. You know, I don't want to share anything that's going to show a moment of, you know, tenderness and vulnerability that would be awkward for them. And it, it's it's a delicate balance. But. Part of that is I feel like a, a way in which we can all be connected. And for anybody that knows me, you just know that, you know, they are a huge part of my work and, and a huge reason for working. And I want them to be involved. I, I get the feeling already that we're, we're going to be doing all kinds of things together as they get older and maybe help me in the work that I'm doing. And
0: do you think... That the way that you and your husband are showing them work and that you're, you're showing them your love of work and in your meaning of work, that that is creating a story in their head about how they see work that may be different than a child growing up in a home where the parents hate their jobs.
1: I, I would think so. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just with, with anything else in parenting we can say whatever we want to our kids till we're blue in the face, but what they're really going to pay attention to is what we actually do. So it's one of the things that is encouraging me to get off the couch finally as it's wintertime and cold and just begin to get in the gym and exercise more. Is I can tell them how important health is,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: if I'm eating poorly, if I'm not moving and exercising, then that's generally the pattern that they're going to fall into, and it's kind of scary. I mean, you know, this as a parent, it's amazing how quickly they, uh, they adjust to either bad habits or good habits. Mm-hmm. It's wild. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I started eating well and Josh all of a sudden woke up in the morning wanting to have a spinach salad. It was just <laughs> like, wow. I mean, instant, immediate thing. So I do think it makes a huge difference. And it's, it's, uh, you can look at this issue when it comes to a relationship, when it comes to work, if you're constantly saying, oh, your father, you know, he's so annoying, and you're yelling and screaming at each other, and you're saying demeaning things to each other, or if every day you get up, and you're like, oh, man, you know, I have to go to work, what a bummer, and I'm stressed, and then you can't wait for the weekend, you're living for the weekend, that's basically the kind of example that you're setting for your kids. Now, that said, I I really want to stress and underline this, all work is honorable, And there are many, many different circumstances sometimes that have people, you know, choosing to be working in a situation that's less than ideal. So I I get very annoyed when people will designate, like, what is worthwhile work or not? You know, working for the man is always terrible. Or, you know, you have to be totally passionate about what you do. Otherwise, you're not, you know, a good human being. It's not at all about that. It's just... Having the perspective that, first of all, if you're in a situation where you need to be in a job that is not the ultimate thing, then how can you, in a small way every day, be making steps so that you can get in a better situation? And then just be conscious and aware, as much for yourself as for the example you're setting to your kids, about how are you talking about it? If you're constantly saying, I hate this job, I hate this job, this is awful, you probably don't feel too good when you're going through your day, as opposed to saying, I know this is not the best use of my skills and strengths, but I am so thankful that I have a way to pay for my bills right now. Mm -hmm. And even just taking that slight shift of thinking can often begin to open up, you know, new, new doors for you. Well, and don't you
0: think, I think the key words in that sentence is right now, right? Because then it doesn't mean it's permanent. You're going to be there forever, but right now this is what you have And, and you can look at what else can you go do or create or or change for the next step? But I do think that exactly. right now,
1: yeah. I mean, my dad, when he, at a point after my parents got divorced, he left. He was working for PG and E Pacific Gas and Electric uh, as a California utility, and and always doing photography and, and photojournalism and that kind of thing. But uh, after the divorce, he worked in an oil company for about eight years, and he really didn't like it. It was not his favorite kind of work, you know, did a lot of manual labor and working out there in a, um, for an oil company. But it, he worked really hard at it. He knew that it's what he needed to do in order to continue to provide for his family. And, you know, it took eight years of doing that. He always had to freelance photography on the side. But thankfully, after that stint, he was able to get rehired back with PG&E and then work for another couple decades after that. So it is that thought of, you know, it's not forever and just being appreciative of the work. If it's really, really bad, I I use the metaphor of a loathing scale. If you can imagine (laughs) that there's a loathing scale from one on the low end, which is everything is great. You love your work. And 10 on the loathing scale means you get physically ill, even thinking about going in and working. When you get to the seven to ten range, you're you're pretty much in a danger zone. It's it's very easy. A lot of people will end up getting sick. They get depressed. They uh, can do things that are not in their own best interest, like get in a you know screaming match with, with a boss, or you know be very inappropriate. You see all kinds of dysfunctional behavior that happens when people get really high on the loathing scale. So when you feel yourself getting in that kind of situation, that's where you always want to be thinking, what is that one tiny little turtle step in the words of of Martha Beck that you can take that will get you one inch closer to a better kind of work situation in the future.
0: That's really good information. Um,
1: I want to go on to
0: connecting because that seems to be like one of your great skill sets that you have is connecting and so for people who are wanting to build relationships, you know, and I mean, even just small little communities, what do you recommend for others to do in this new world of work?
1: Yeah, the the one of the, the, the meta skills, if you will, in the new world of work, which is really how it is that I've structured the book, I think you know, the first thing is you can agree or disagree with the premise. My premise of the book is is that the purpose of our life is to create a body of work that has great meaning and personal significance. So we're creating things that we care about and we're making the kind of impact that we want to make. So in order for that to happen, there are a number of skills that I think we need to have that will allow us to move between many different work modes and situations. So even if there is somebody who might choose to stay in a corporate structure their career or stay in academia or to be a small business owner, the quality of your connections is really, really critically important. And I think it is the way that information is changing so quickly and markets change and ideas change. It's a skill to know how to actually create and, and connect with a group. So, one of the first things is to begin to recognize that there are these distinct, e- what I call ecosystems. So within any particular area that you're in, there are going to be other people within that ecosystem who are you know, academics or thought leaders or in, you know, influencers. There are publications that people read. There are ideas that they're excited about. There are brands that they buy. And so when you can begin to really analyze the ecosystem that you're in, that's really the starting place to figure out who really would be great for me to connect with based on what it is that I want to learn. So there can be different levels. There can be peer mentors of who would be people who would be great to connect with, who will push me to do my best, who might be in a similar kind of situation, a level of experience as I am, but are highly motivated and encouraging. They're not going to let me sit back and not do my work. They're going to encourage me, but they may be different from somebody who really is a technical mentor or even as I talked about in Escape from Cubicle Nation, a member of your High Council of Jedi Knights, somebody that you really want to aspire to be like and connect with. So the first thing when you're trying to think about how do you want to expand your networks is to identify what really do I want to learn? What is the perspective or skill set or knowledge that I need to learn that I don't currently have within my ecosystem, within my coworkers or colleagues or my college friends or whoever your, your circles are? So you want to look at, you know, depending upon what it is that you want to learn, who are the people that are in that area that are, you know, really doing a great job? And, and you could begin to, to really create a map and begin to follow people. As I said before, a lot of people now are sharing ideas on blogs, you might identify people who you would love to see speak. So you would, you know, choose to go to a conference, for example, where you know, somebody you admire is speaking, because you want to make that first connection and, and begin to get to know them. Or in a similar way, I think conferences can be great, where you are interested in connecting with like minded people that could be peer mentors. So for people in this scenario who are doing something new, like you do decide that you want to start a business or uh, become a triathlete or do something like that, go to a place where where people are gathering to learn information around that area. So it would be great for you to go to a conference on entrepreneurship because most likely the people that are you're sitting with in the audience are going to be others who share similar Um, interests and ideas that may not be the same kind of folks that you're generally sitting around in your day-to-day life. So it's, you know, first identifying what do you want to learn? What are the qualities of people that you feel like you need to have around you? And then you look for these places in your ecosystem, I call them a watering hole, that might have a great amount of people that come from that perspective. And then it's really just a matter of building one relationship at a time. It doesn't have to be rushed. You don't have to know a million people. Some of it depends on your, your preference, if you're more of a connector, if you're, if, you, if you're an extrovert and you like to know tons of people versus being an introvert, where you'd rather have a core group of really strong uh, friends and colleagues that you can share deep ideas with. How do you go from you know going to that conference and
0: doing those beginning stages and then continuing to cultivate those relationships in, in, this, in the busyness of our lives? How do you go about doing that?
1: Well, I think a lot of it is based on on priority, right? We have a limited amount of, of attention. And so I'm a big planner and it's part of what I think about in, in my world of business. But I like to think of, for example, we're coming up on a new year. So in the year 2014, what are some of your main objectives? And if one of your main objectives is to create a stronger circle of people who are going to push you to think differently and develop new skills, then that's going to be something that's worth putting a priority on. And so when you do, let's say, go to a a conference and you meet somebody who you really connect with, it's making time to do little tiny things like sending a text message to the person and saying, hey, you know, it was just great to get to know you. I hope we can stay connected. And then following them on their own, you know, social media channel and making an effort if let's say you live in California and they live in New York, that when you go to New York, call them up, let them know you're in town and take time to go out for coffee. I mean, that's it's these tiny little ways that you can begin to build connections that personally, I enjoy a lot more than doing something that's a huge push. A lot of my deepest, strongest connections have been based on years and years of tiny little conversations right? Tiny ways in in which you do things. I have a favorite thing, which I'll do when uh, I have people's numbers in my cell phone is just doing a little random, like a, it's kind of like a a phone hug by, right? Mm -hmm. Where I'll like, I'll have a few minutes, I'll be somewhere and I can just call somebody up that's in my phone that I know I care about, that I want to stay connected with and just say, Hey, how are you doing? I just wanted to check in. Or if I know that somebody is about to do something really big in their life, they're they're running the Iron Man or they're about to give a big presentation, I'm gonna take the time to send them a little text of encouragement. And it's these little tiny ways that we can build this trust and connection with each other that ends up building a strong foundation for a longer term relationship. But as I said before, in terms of priority, If you know tons of people and you get, you know, 55 cards from a conference, (laughs) you're probably not going to put your energy into using those kinds of connections with all 55. Maybe there are two people of all those that you decide are worth the priority to really explore the possibility of connecting more because it has to be reciprocal, right? Mm -hmm. You have to always go through the experience to make sure that they're enjoying the connection as, as much as you are. I think that's great, and to realize that
0: it can happen over the long term—it doesn't all have to happen right now in the next three months. It doesn't have to be this fast thing, does it?
1: It doesn't, you know. I I think my my long running um, quest to meet John Legend, which you've known me a long time, you'll know, know, goes (laughs) all the way back to my book tour five years ago. You know, where I I love him as a as a musician. I, I profiled him in my current book. And part of it's just fun because I I love to watch people roll their eyes when I mention him yet again. But it's a fun adventure when I think of all the different ways that I can begin to make these connections. He's an example of somebody who is rich and famous and so, you know, has a few layers of people to get through in order to make a connection. But it becomes a fun way of realizing there's no push. There's no huge need to make something happen tomorrow and become a stalker and, you know, hang out in front of his window or something. It's more a matter of planting the seed and seeing over time how that connection can happen. And, and for me, that's part of the fun adventure. And it releases any kind of anxiety about uh, needing it to happen immediately. As I, I I did use his story, his personal story, as one of the lead stories in, in a chapter of my new book. And I, um, a friend knew his manager. And so I reached out and I asked the manager if he was able to do an interview for the book. And he was so gracious, he called me back, which I thought was fantastic. The fact that he pick up the phone and call me, knowing how busy he was. and at that time, uh, John Legend was just had just released a new album and so was on the road, wasn't able to do it. But I didn't take it as like crushing disappointment. i I just said, okay, like right now I, I'm not able to really make that connection, but I did research. I did include his story, and then I just sent the book to his manager, which you know, cross our fingers, we'll get in his hands and we'll see what happens. But if you can look at it more as, a joyful adventure and less than some life or death situation where if you don't make a connection with somebody, your life is over. I mean, that's just way too much stress.
0: Mm -hmm. Sounds like you have a pretty clean mindset about those kinds of things.
1: Some days, (laughs) I I just stare at my phone and wait for John to call me one of these days to tell me how much he appreciates having his story in my book. But you know what? Oh, you'll be the first to know if that happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: What skills in this new world of work and, you know, you developing your own body of work, what skills did you have to learn, um, as you've gone through your own career?
1: I think one, which is a very strong one related to what we talked about early is the ability to create and ship to use a term that Seth often uses, um, it is so important to learn how to take an idea and bring it into action. Certainly as an entrepreneur, that is what we live and and die with, right? We Mm -hmm. we have to, in order to have products and services to sell, we have to have an idea and and bring it to life. If we want to do a retreat or some kind of coaching package or whatever it is that you do, it's a critical skill. And I think that is something that is an example of a meta skill in the new world of work. If you're able to take an idea, solve a problem, get people galvanized around it, take action and make something happen, that is hugely important. And that's actually what's gonna say so much more about who you are than your resume or whatever academic degrees that you have behind your name. So that's one really, really powerful one. The other one, which I'm always working on and which is the huge subtext of the book, is storytelling. And I think this is another example or people, as you mentioned at the very top of our interview, who may have had a huge variety of life experiences, who have all these disparate, interesting parts of your life, that in the traditional way that we've been taught to describe our experiences on a resume, where there everything has to be linear, and our college degree needs to lead to a logical choice in terms of you know, what job we took. And Any gap in your resume is seen as a really negative thing that you either avoid or make up some fancy story about. Everything is really about telling a compelling story, about really thinking about who's your audience, what, where's the adventure, what's the hero saga and what you're doing. How can you engage somebody and get somebody interested in what it is that you're doing? That skill is what's necessary to sell a book proposal. It's what's necessary to write a book, to get a job, to get a client and that is something I think that all of us need to know how to do effectively, especially as we're moving, brokering between networks, as we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. but also as we may be working between different work modes. How can you describe why it is that your, your prior background as a you know, swimmer and swim coach and, and academic professional and all that is going to make you a great coach? Mm -hmm. It's really going to be based on great story, connecting deeply with your audience in a way that's very resonant with them. And I I think that's just a huge important skill that, frankly, I am going to be learning for the rest of my life, but I'm really going to be focusing on it in the next 10 years.
0: You know, and when I was reading your book, I was thinking about that myself, as in you have a great kind of, you know, questions to ask people or ask yourself as you're trying to cultivate your story and put it together. But that is, I think, as I go into 2014 and the next ten years, is how can I be a better story crafter? Because I think that will benefit in so many areas of my life. So th- I thank think you. so.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, Pam, thank you so much for being a guest today, and thank you for writing this book. It's it's just a great book, and you know, my listeners who uh, listen to my show know that I don't say that very often though all of my guests are carefully, you know, picked for my show, but this is just a very great book. And, you know, I'm so excited for you and I'm so excited for the people who will read it because I can't wait to see what's created from it.
1: (laughs) I thank you so much. It means a lot to me that you read it and that you liked it. I'm so glad. And uh, I'm just very excited to see what the next you know what the next year is going to look like as we get the message out there in the world.
0: That was great. This is Karen Motakitis, and you've been listening to How She Really Does It. My guest today is Pamela Slim, and her book is Body of Work: Finding the Thread That Ties Your Story Together. I will have links on her interview page as well that we talked about, and as well as other stuff for the book. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at How She Really Does It. Dot com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled lost our way or only saw closed doors with this show maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows i call that the windows of possibility each week i bring a guest who represents those possibilities they too have had their own struggles and uncertainty yet somehow they have found their way my guests are an example of what is possible when you continue when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself if that is possible for them. What is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com and thanks for listening today. On a lake She is dreaming She is drifting Never been so wide